Remember, God can't talk to us if we're doing all the talking. <laughs> you know, if, if, if we're doing all the talking, that's why in religious life, we have silent time. And people say, I don't understand that. What's the purpose of having silent time? It's so that you can hear God speak. One of the things that we're facing today is discernment. Discernment is a process of trying to figure out what's right. We have discernment in spirits, in things to do and not to do that, you know, whether you're deciding to get married or you're called to do something else or date this person or not, but also in terms of, especially today, who do we follow? So there's all sorts of confusion in the church. Our Lord said, when they strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. Well, it certainly seems that from Rome, there are very confusing things are going on. So people don't know anymore what's up and what's down. Who, who do you follow? Well, I follow, like in the early church, you know, I, I'm a follower of Paul or of Peter or of, you know, of uh, Jude or any of the apostles. Well, you're supposed to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but now it's confusing. Now, am I following our Archbishop, uh, you know, uh, Corleone or, or Bishop Schneider or Cardinal Burke, you know, if we're trying to stay in the Orthodox crowd, th then there's a whole bunch of others that we could say we're following. Um, and you can't somehow say today, no, I'm just following, you know, the teaching of the church and, and the Pope, of course. Does that mean you're actually following Father James Martin, whom the Pope seems to agree with? These are very confusing times. So we need discernment. We need discernment as well in terms of prophecy, because today we have a lot of prophecy going around. And no surprise, we all feel like we're in the end times. And so looking at the prophecies, the, the messages from heaven that have come uh, through Our Lady, particularly over the past 100 years or so, is very consoling. It gives us some clarity. But how do we discern if it's true or not, or if we should be listening or not? During the time of the children of Fatima, it wasn't yet approved. So you can't always say, well, is it approved by the church? How about all those people who were there with the children of Fatima? To suss this out, we have with us someone who's been with us before, and uh, he's been so great at answering especially all the hard questions that we asked him back again. Father Chris Alar is with us, so stay tuned. Hello, friends. We have a great idea for you for Mother's Day. Did you know that massive companies like DoorDash, Etsy, Fry's Food, Jay's Jewelers, and even Hallmark are emailing their customers for the opportunity to opt out of Mother's Day announcements for this month? This is the latest erasure of women, and especially mothers, by the radical globalist agenda, entirely against LifeSite's pro-life and pro-family mission. And that's why, during the month of May, LifeSite honors mothers around the world who have lovingly brought the culture of life into their homes and neighborhoods. In fact, we at LifeSite are proud to launch our worldwide LifeSite spiritual bouquet for mothers to dedicate your mother or a mother that you know into LifeSite spiritual bouquet for mothers. Simply click on spiritual bouquet for mothers in the link below. Be sure to add your name and hers, and by adding your names, you add new spiritual life into our bouquet that will be offered up in prayer by our entire LifeSite staff, and Father James Altman will be praying especially for you and offering a very special blessing to all participants.
So in addition to Father Altman, remember the whole LifeSite staff will offer up in prayer every single person added to LifeSite spiritual bouquet for mothers. So don't miss your chance to add your name and a mother that you know or your own mother. And you can see the bouquet and prayer accompanying it in the link below. Mothers deserve our honor and respect, not being canceled. Click the link and enter LifeSite's virtual bouquet for mothers, for you and your mother. And together, we will opt in to the culture of life. Thank you, and may God bless you. Father, welcome back to the program. Thank you, uh, John Henry. It's great to be back. Always enjoy your show, and i um, honored to be here. We are, as I said in the intro, uh, in need of discernment. But one of the big questions is how to do that, because things are so confusing. And let's start with the, the big one, uh, the confusion in the church nowadays. How are we supposed to know what to do? The first thing that Satan uses, he has three great tools um, that he uses against mankind in his desire to give us the same fate he got, which was to be banished from God. And, and his three tools are pride, which started all the way back in the garden, um, the second is fear, which we experienced during COVID, um, Satan playing up on our fear. And the third is confusion. And now we see that everywhere from gender, uh, gender ideology to, uh, you know, pro personal pronouns and everything uh, in addition. So we have to then tackle this confusion by understanding what is God teaching us through his church. And a big part of that is not just what's written in doctrine, but also knowing a discernment of spirits of his will for your life. And this is important because God has given us free will. You know, he doesn't give us license. J.K. Chesterton said it best. He said, we're like little children on top of a mountain. He said, God puts a fence around the top of the mountain to protect us from falling off the cliff. But within that fence, he lets us run around and do whatever we want to do within that guideline. And I thought, what a beautiful way to explain that, G.K. Chesterton did, because those, that fence is the laws of God, the Ten Commandments, the, you know, the teaching of the church. But within it, we have freedom. And I think it was Augustine that said, uh, I loved it, love God and then do whatever you want. <laughs> so, because um, what that means is that if you truly desire to please God, your will will then become perfectly in line with his will. That's why the Blessed Virgin Mary was a perfect example. You know, Father Stephen Shire, who was a priest that I met, um, he had an, uh, um, uh, an experience where he had died and went before the judgment throne of Christ, ended up being revived. But he said that the Trinity cannot say no to Mary. He said, so always invoke her intercession. And I used to think, well, why? And the answer is because her will is perfectly aligned with God's will. And so everything she desires ends up being God's will. And so this is really what's powerful. It's, a, you know, and so how do we know, though, what those things are? How do we know how to discern if we're not sure, like two good things you and I've talked about before, marriage or the priesthood, for example, or marriage or entering a convent. And, you know, we, we can make some big decisions that we need God's help. Uh, you know, a lot of things God does not restrict us, like, do I want to use 
the, the, the nice dishes tonight at dinner or the casual dinner dishes. You know, God gives us free will here. He gives us freedom. Let's not be scrupulous. But in the larger decisions, he does give us guidelines. I saw an article, one of my favorite philosophers is Peter Kreft out of uh, Boston College. How he's remained there and over the years is, is a grace of God because he, he's a light in the darkness of Catholic, sometimes uh, secular universities. But he said, you look at seven places and, 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 and here's what they are. He said, number one, scripture. Scripture tells us flat out many times through the Ten Commandments and others what God's will is, very clear. The second is church teaching. Christ establishing his church in Matthew 16, 18, clearly gave his authority uh, to, the, to the church. And if the church gives you church teaching on things like contraception, um, abortion, you know you're following God's will. Uh, the third one is human reason. He said we can use our human reason to be able to determine if something is right or wrong. Very clear. We can use that reason God gave us. Uh, the other one is the circumstances. Now, sometimes it may be appropriate to speak up, and sometimes it may not be appropriate to speak up. So it depends when you're discerning whether to say something or do something. You got to look at the circumstances. So that was number four. Then he said your conscience. You must, Thomas Aquinas told us, you must follow your conscience. That's how God judges you. Now. Don't let that be a scapegoat, though, because you are also obligated to inform your conscience. <laughs> so if, if, if you say, well, my conscience says, my conscience tells me it's okay to, um, to promote gay marriage, or my conscience tells me it's good to use contraception because I can't have another child. Well, you haven't properly informed your conscience. So this is important part to know about conscience. So that was, um, that was fifth. And then our innate sense of right, well, basically that's what conscience is, is our innate sense of right or wrong. The sixth, he said, was our instincts, you know, to flight or fight or, you know, to, to say, to talk, not to talk. But a seventh was prayer. Take it to prayer. And in, in especially contemplative silent prayer, listening for God's guidance. Now, here's what Peter Kreeft said. And I thought this was fascinating. He said, if even one of those seven voices, scripture, church teaching, um, the circumstances, conscience, your instincts and prayer, he said, if even one of those says no, don't do it. Don't do it. He said, if none of those say no, then do it. You then have properly discerned something that is very, very uh, a big decision in your life. So look, you know, look for that. And for me, how I always knew if my decision was based on God's will was peace. You know, you, you, you have that inner peace. So I like to say, look at those seven sources, but also the fruit. Do you have peace or do you have anxiety and a restlessness? Remember, St. Augustine said, our hearts will be restless until they rest in you. So a good measure to, to measure by uh, that Peter Kreef teaches us. How does this apply then to the church today? Because I think... This is the big question for a lot of Catholics nowadays. It's like, oof, how do we apply that to, you know, because there's different opinions out there now, um, different opinions, even among the best of the clergy. How do we discern what we are to follow 
when when we have destabilization uh, right from Rome? First of all, is you go right to the church teaching itself, um, and we we can find that. Um, you know, in in not only dogmatic revelation, but church doctrine, um, the church's defined teaching, where I think the confusion comes, as just as our Lord said, and, and many have prophesied, even Mary said, um, will become within the church, bishops against bishops, priests against priests. Um, I am shocked that we have certain bishops that are saying and doing what they're doing. I mean, we don't even have to go into the German bishops at the synod, you know, pushing for ordination of women and gay marriages. This is clearly not in line with church teaching. So we have to first inform our conscience of what church teaching actually is. Right here in the United States, we have bishops kneeling down in honor of uh, civil groups that are causing revolts um, and kneeling down in honor, um, you know, of course, all lives matter, but kneeling down to a group uh, that has openly stated on their website promotion of abortion, transgenderism, gay marriage, destruction of the patriarchy, and Marxism. Now, all five of those things has been condemned by the Catholic Church. Leo Thirteenth, especially wrote much on all those topics. He wrote about Marxism and the dangers, and yet we got bishops kneeling down in honor of BLM and, 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 and supporting this movement. Are they even realizing that all five tenets of that movement are against church teaching? It has nothing to do with racism. This has nothing to do with racism. This has to do with something that is bigger and in 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 it called human life that 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 we are trying to support. And so we have to first educate ourselves on what the church really teaches. And you know, John Henry, I'm sure you guys are the same. I get letters all the time saying this particular bishop said it was okay to use contraception, or this particular bishop said that it was okay in certain circumstances to have an abortion. And we always have to write back. Unfortunately, that bishop is not in line with Catholic teaching. And so we, we have to educate ourselves to what the church actually does teach. And, and you know, a lot of people are confused. And so I always say, if, if you're still confused, use the discernments of spirits. Um, you know, the Ignatian spirituality is a very strong thing. And Ignatius taught us that there were three rules. And if I may go into these real quick, I, they, they may help some of you. Ignatius said, whenever you have to make a decision and you're not sure, um, you know, church teaching is always the first place to start. But there's no teaching on a church teaching that says I should be a priest or get married. <laughs> so, so I have to, I have to um, discern the spirit. What, what is the spirit? And sometimes you really do have two good choices. You know, I was engaged to be married prior to becoming a priest. I honestly believe that God left me that choice. Yes, many times there are right answers and wrong answers, but sometimes God leaves the choice to us. Now, for instance, uh, I use the example of the dishes. Do you, do you clear the plates before the, the cups or the cups before the plates? Okay, I think God lives that to your free will. But in a big decision, he has a plan for you. 
and a telos. This is the fulfillment of what his plan is for us. Now, sometimes those can have multiple answers. Like, I really feel if God, if I would have made the choice to become a father and a husband, God would meet me where I was at. He would have said, now, okay, you made the choice to be a husband and a father. Now be the best husband and be the best father that you can be. I had a woman once, John Henry, come to me uh, for direction, and she said, Father, I know I missed my call to be a nun. I am absolutely convinced God wanted me to be a nun, and you know what? I'm not going to drop everything, and I'm going to go become a nun. She said, I'm married with three young children. <laughs> well, no, that's, that's no longer God's will for you to become a nun when you've made already the choice to be married and have three children. So God will meet you where you're at. He will then say, now, to her, be the best wife, be the best mother that you can be. I'm here with you. But let's back up. What did Ignatius tell us prior to making those decisions? Well, it sounded like she failed because she didn't properly discern that decision before she made it, if that was God's will for her to be a nun. Now she's to be the good mother and, and parent uh, and, and spouse. But here's what they are. One, this is the rules of St. Ignatius. Rule one is be attentive to false consolations. What does he mean by that? Sometimes the evil one can make something look good when it's really not. I'll give an example. Another person I was counseling, a young adult, she believed this person that came into her life um, was dragging her into drugs, pornography, not going to mass. He wasn't working. She was supporting him. He had no real sense of a moral compass, but she kept saying, I think I can change him. I think that's why God has him in my life. And I said, okay, see over time how this leads you. Well, after several months of counseling her, he still wasn't going to church. He still wasn't stopping drugs. He was talking her into um, promiscuity and, and fornication. And it was getting worse. Now, at some point, you have to realize that God doesn't want you to be drugged down, but yet the evil one can use it that this is a good thing. This person is good in your life. Don't be afraid to cut out something out of your life that is taking you away from God. Very important. And so this seems like a consolation, but it's not necessarily. It could be a very big danger. Now, the second rule that St. Um, Ignatius taught us, was never make a major decision in times of desolation. Because in times of desolation, our mind and our, our free will, or our moral, or our judgment, our ability to make good judgments is impaired. That's why the church teaches alcohol is okay, but not to the point of overindulgence where we're drunk, because it affects our judgment. And if you are in a time of desolation, you're going to make decisions that are not, at that time and place, best for you that you would have otherwise made in times of consolation. I use the example of my grandmother. My grandmother was racked with severe pain, arthritis, and a time in 1993, it reached its worst point. She took her life. She made the decision to end her life. That was a moment of extreme desolation, 
And she made a decision you can't reverse by taking her life. And so I find a very personal connection with this rule. Never make a major decision in times of desolation. Pray to God that that consolation will come to give you clarity. And I think that's very, very important. And then the third rule is that the angel of light is not always the angel of light. It could be the evil one uh, masquerading. Um, the deceiver can, you know, act like things are helping us. Uh, but the real intention is to tempt us. Like, for instance, I'll give you an example. A lot of guys in our religious community can fall into this trap. Self-righteousness. All of a sudden, I'm praying more than you. I'm up all night in the chapel. Where were you? I didn't see you. I'm not seeing, I'm not seeing my brothers do this, but I think religious life as a whole can have this trap. All of a sudden, now, you're judging others because they're not living up to your standards. They're, you're expecting them to do the same as you. So he'll encourage you, the evil one, to become judgmental. Oh, they're not as holy as you are. Remember the um, gospel, John Henry, with uh, the tax collector and, um, and the Pharisee, where the Pharisee says, I fast two days a week, I give tithes, but thank you, Lord, for not making me like this guy. <laughs> and then they go to the tax collector and he says, Lord, have mercy on me, a poor sinner. Who was justified? You know, the, the, the sinner, the, the, the tax collector. And so we have to be careful because sometimes the evil one can make something appear to be good, like taking on too many ministries is another one in our community. If, if you take on too many ministries, all of a sudden now you're not giving ample time and attention to any one of them. And so he'll, he'll present this to you that you need to be perfect and only God is perfect, but God challenges us to be perfect, yes, only though in love. Doesn't challenge us to be perfect in never making a mistake. And, 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 and if we find ourselves judging others and trying to be self-righteous, um, we got to be careful. So these are three great rules that St. Ignatius gives us in discernment of spirits. Hello, friends. To celebrate the momentous overturning of Roe v. Wade, we at LifeSite have minted just under 10,000 of these brand new limited edition pro-life silver rounds. Now, each round is stamped with the image of the Supreme Court of the United States featuring the date that the High Court delivered this historic victory. And on the front of our pure silver rounds, LifeSite's logo surrounded by a brilliant sunburst and draped with olive branches. They, of course, commemorate our 25-year anniversary of LifeSite News. We began in 1997 in September, so September of 2022 was 25 years. These one ounce silver rounds are available from our partners at stjosephspartners.com, where you can fulfill all of your silver and gold needs in this perilous time. May God bless you. One of the other areas of discernment that I think, especially today, uh, people are wondering about is discernment of prophecies. Um, people are taking a lot of consolation right now in the messages of Our Lady. Fatima, Akita, La Salette, Lourdes, because they had words for us, which right now are so consoling. It's like direct messages from heaven, which I think we seem to need right now because things are just so crazy. Yet when you're dealing with prophecy and when you're dealing with private revelation, you need to discern that. And I'm not even talking about the ones that are 
already officially approved by the church because then it should be obvious. Fatima should be so painfully obvious that if you ignore it, well, that's kind of strange on you. But with regard to even, even Fatima, at the time when the children were receiving the apparitions, it wasn't approved. In fact, in some ways it seemed to be even discouraged, yet the people went. So there must be a kind of discernment, even about private revelation and, and things that happen, that can be made by individuals outside of the guidance of the church when that's not there yet. Um, and we want to do that especially now because we know that there are false prophets as well who are wrong. And as you already said, the devil can appear as an angel of light. So we have to have that discernment. So specifically with regard to prophecies and private revelation, what's a good guide? The answer is, is there anything in the message, approved or not, that is contrary to the teaching of the church? Um, is it contrary to uh, the, the scriptures? Is it, is it 100% commensurate with the church fathers, with uh, 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 the magisterium, um, with scripture? with with the saints um is it commensurate with that message okay because now somebody could come back and say yeah but father there's some things that the the saints haven't touched on like today artificial intelligence um you know these are the kind of things transgenderism i mean what did thomas aquinas say about transgenderism i mean it's it's a difficult topic because it's developed so much over the last more recent times that we won't have, we don't have a guideline. So what we have to go here is two things. One is anything contrary to the teaching of the church. Now, just because it's not in the Bible doesn't mean you can't accept it. Because like I said, what does the Bible say about artificial intelligence? What does the Bible say about contraception? What does the Bible say about nuclear war? Nothing. Because the date and time that the Bible was written, artificial intelligence was not an issue. And so we have to first understand, just because it's not in the Bible, doesn't mean it's not a moral issue. It doesn't mean that we don't address it. And just because the church hasn't made an official statement on it either, doesn't mean that we cannot look to it for, like you said, certain uh, encouragement or hope in the future that Our Lady is going to address these problems. You know, the Immaculate Heart will triumph. Um, we have to have hope. Now, the key is, one, to make sure, again, that there's nothing contrary to the teaching of the Church. Doesn't mean it has to be in the Bible or in the magisterial documents, but not contrary to it. That's the key. And second, you must follow your conscience. Thomas Aquinas said, you must follow your conscience even if it is in error. Wow, people get surprised by that. But as I said on one of our previous shows, John Henry, if, if we use that line of reasoning, we have to remember that Aquinas also said we're morally obligated to inform our conscience. Okay? We are morally obligated to inform our conscience. So if Mary appears and it's not approved and she says, well, in cases of rape or incest, abortion is totally allowed, we have to go to the teaching of the church, okay? And the teaching of the church will tell us, no, that's not true. If she comes and says that we need to 
uh, you know, fast on every Wednesday and Friday with bread and water. Like there's been some messages that she's done. That's up to you and your conscience. If your conscience tells you, I should be praying for the holy souls in purgatory and fasting every Wednesday on bread and water, and you medically are able and you're healthy enough to do it, then God is speaking to you. You know, God is speaking to you in that apparition. If your conscience is really convicted that Mary said at a particular apparition site that you need to fast every Wednesday, you know, eat meat not on Fridays or abstain on Fridays, but I want you to fast on Wednesdays, and you are really convicted by this, and you really feel this in your heart to the point that you feel guilty if you don't, heaven is speaking to you. Heaven is making it very clear to you that this message is for you. Now, there are many things I read, and I don't feel that level of effective response. So please, if God is putting something that strong on your heart, uh, for me, you know, uh, personally, it was for persecuted Christians. You know, um, to pray for persecuted Christians, what's happening in the Middle East, we don't hear about. Why is our Holy Father not asking every Christian to pray and fast for Catholic priests in Nigeria? Every day I turn on the news, there's another one being kidnapped or murdered. My conscience personally spoke to me. Now, there's no, when Mary appeared to one of uh, the priests that we know in Nigeria and told her to pray and fast for these priests, I don't need the church approval for that. That's speaking to me directly in my heart. So hopefully we use that as a guideline, your own conscience, uh, that will help guide you into doing what you know God is asking you to do. If you don't mind, Father, that raises another question, because it's an amazing discernment process that you've given us. But how do we hear? So, I know I've got a hearing problem. I've, I've, I wear hearing aids. But it's not that kind of hearing, because I'm sure God does speak to some people as he has audibly, but that's as rare as rare. He mostly speaks to us in our hearts. But a lot of people, me included sometimes, wonders... What does that mean? What do you mean speaks in your heart? How do you listen to your heart? There are two very long traditional spiritualities of the church, Carmelite spirituality and Ignatian spirituality. In the Ignatian spirituality, they use the term contemplation to be more about inserting yourself in maybe a, a gospel scene where Christ, let's say, is in the boat, the storm hits, and Jesus is sleeping, and and the Ignatian um, you know, exercises will help guide you through what they call contemplation of picturing yourself in the scene and what would you say, how would you react, and what would you learn from Christ in that situation? Beautiful. I've done my Ignatian retreats. I think it's very fruitful. But the Carmelite understanding of contemplation has resonated with me. And remember, there's no right or wrong answer here. Um, the church does not say the Carmelite way is better than the Ignatian way or vice versa. But the Carmelite understanding of, of contemplation is different. It's simply going before the Lord in silence. You need to set aside some time, even if you have to schedule it in your date book. You need to treat the Lord like a good personal friend that you put on. I mean, I know this sounds very superficial. But put on your put put him in your date book. Give him that time. Maybe it's every Wednesday at 8 p.m. I'm gonna go to the church and do adoration. 
Now, what that spirituality of contemplation, the catechism tells us there's three levels of mental prayer. Um, or I should I should back up. There are, there are three types of prayer. Um, we have vocal prayer, which is our traditional Hail Marys, Our Fathers, prayers we learned at, at an early age. Uh, we vocally recite them. Very good. Then we have more meditative prayers, like maybe the rosary. It could be a meditative prayer where I meditate on pounding the nail, you know, into Jesus's hands, you know, in the sorrowful mysteries, um, you know, in the in the fifth sorrowful mystery. But then there's what is called contemplation. And that simply is spending time in prayer saying nothing. Basically, what it is, is kind of when I had a very close friend who was unconscious in the hospital, I stayed at his bedside for a, for a while, several days. And, and this person was unconscious. They didn't say anything. They were there. And I was there. And somehow I knew they knew I was there. I didn't have to say a word. I was just present. So when you go into adoration, if you're looking, remember, God can't talk to us if we're doing all the talking. <laughs> if, if, if we're doing all the talking, that's why in religious life, we, we have silent time. And people say, I don't understand that. What's the purpose of having silent time? It's so that you can hear God speak. You stop doing all the talking. So schedule some time in adoration and go before the Lord in quiet where you say nothing. Maybe do what St. Therese did. Take a picture of Jesus. Take the divine mercy image and just gaze upon it. Like the divine mercy image right here behind me. Just gaze upon it. Let those rays sink in and say, Lord, I'm here. Your servant is listening. And I tell you, I denied my vocational call to the priesthood for 30 years. And I finally heard it because I never believed it could be true. Not only did I hear it, but it went straight to the heart, which was in quiet contemplation, adoration. But you can't do that if you're not silent. So spend some time in silent prayer before the Lord. You don't talk. You don't say a word. You don't even make an Our Father or a Hail Mary. You simply gaze upon him in love and you let him do the talking. In fact, I'll finish with this. There was a man with John VNA, and John VNA noticed how prayerful he was. And John, uh, St. John VNA asked him, What do you do when you're praying? What are you saying? And he said, Nothing. I just look at Jesus and he looks at me back. <laughs> and that's when you'll hear him. And so, what a beautiful spirituality. Because it's easy. You don't do anything. God does the work. And, th and that's true contemplation. When that comes to you, it comes as, as, like your, for instance, your example of the priesthood, came as a conviction of a something to do. Sort of like a, you, you described it in your heart, but to come as ideas in your mind as well that seem to come just at that time. Once they're there, once this, um, you know, you're in adoration or you're in prayer, you're looking at an image of the crucifix or a lady or whatever, and you get this conviction or idea or whatever it is from that you believe is from the Lord, 
Do you run with that or do you discern first? There has to be one more step in discernment. After you do the, the, the opening of the heart, and actually, I'll go back to Father John Harden um, that, 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 that really laid this out well. He said, there's three things you got to do on the, uh, on the peripheral to be able to open yourself up to receive the voice of God in prayer and to be able to discern the spirits properly, like Father Timothy Gallagher says in Discernment of the Spirits. Father John Harden said this, attitude, peace, and confidence. What did he mean by that? He said the first thing you got to do is have the right attitude. You got to open up your heart that if God tells you something you don't want to hear, are you going to listen? Now, me for 30 years, I would listen to God if it's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> so, you know, if 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 I if I had an attitude, it was, yeah, Lord, I agree with you as long as you agree with me. And we still fall into that. But he said, you got to have the right predisposition. You you must have yourself opened to understanding what God's doing in you. And you have to be willing, if he gives you the opposite answer of what you want to hear, to say, okay. So number one is attitude. And then he said, once you open your heart and he guides you, you will have peace. If you make a decision and it's filled with anxiety, depression, restlessness, most likely that's not of God. Now, that doesn't mean you won't have crosses. It doesn't mean you won't have suffering. Look at Job. Job was doing the will of God. But my gosh, he was full of boils and, you know, his animals died and, and his family was punished. I mean, not punished, but suffering. And so there will be trials, but that doesn't mean there can't be peace. You know, I, I've had some of the greatest peace when I was going through the greatest trials because I knew I was doing God's will. One, one of my greatest trials is being criticized and called a hater or a bigot. Uh, because I teach the Catholic Church teaching on marriage, on abortion. I've been called uh, a Nazi because I stood up for preservation of religious liberty. Now, how you connect Nazism with the preservation of religious liberty, I have no idea. <laughs> but, but I've been accused of all of that. And so I can have suffering and trials in the midst of a lot of peace. Why did I have peace? Because I knew I was teaching the truth. And that's why I so much admire and appreciate LifeSite. You guys have taken that, you know, you didn't very uh, waver from the truth. Even at the expense of being canceled, you never wavered from the truth. With that, you can have peace. And the third thing that John Harden said is if, 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 if you open your heart, the attitude, you then, God directs you, you will have peace. And the third thing is, you got to have confidence that even if you are down a road that's very difficult, even if you are being challenged beyond what you think is your limit, you have confidence that what God is putting you through is in your best interest. For me, this goes back to Faustina's message of trust, because St. Faustina's entire message was, trust me. Trust me, Jesus was telling her. So even if the Lord makes it look like he's going to cancel us, 
destroy my name out in the public world because I'm a, a bigot and a hater and all that. I have confidence that God's providence is overseeing it, and I trust him. As long as I keep those three things in mind, I will persevere. We have our elections coming up, and I might be assigned to go to Africa or to India. Now, I might say, wow, I don't want to go. But somehow, Lord, I trust you. You got my best interest at heart. That's how I know it's God's will. And so that, to me, is very important because when God speaks to superiors, you can be knowing that it's, unless they ask you to do something sinful, you know that it's God's will. And so for you out there, the laity, I would recommend a spiritual director. Because what a spiritual director can do is help walk you through those processes. And if you're obedient to your spiritual director, Jesus told St. Faustina, listen and reveal yourself to your confessor and spiritual director. If you hide from him, I will hide from you. And so what Jesus told St. Faustina was very important. If you want to truly know God's will and you're having a tough time discerning it yourself, get a spiritual director and you commit you find that one that you can relate to, and if they show you and lead you through being a prayerful priest, they will show you God's will. But the question is, will you be willing to follow? And then if you have confidence and trust in God, you will. And then you know completely you're doing God's will, even if your spiritual director messes up and accidentally takes you down a different road. Guess what, everybody? God doesn't hold you accountable. You will not be held accountable because you were obedient to who he gave you as a spiritual director. Guaranteed, you will get to heaven if you follow the commandments and you follow a spiritual director to do the will of God as best that he teaches you and you stay within the teachings of the church, not sinning. God will reward that because you're being obedient. And that's the greatest of the vows. Poverty, chastity, obedience. Obedience is the greatest. And so God will reward that. Father, thank you so very much for taking us through these confusing waters. And I think there's so much more clarity for people now in terms of discernment on these very many things. Well, thank you. We appreciate it. And, and God bless all the viewers here that are trying to find God's will in their life. Amen to that. God bless you, Father. Thank you. God bless you. God bless all of you. And we'll see you next time. Hi, everyone. This is John Henry Weston. We hope you enjoyed this program. To see more like it, be sure to hit the subscribe button below to get all the latest content from LifeSite News. Check the links in the description to read more and connect with us on social media so that you can stay up to date with all the latest life, family, faith, and freedom news. Thanks for watching, and may God bless you.